Welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is where we sample the talents of the most notorious chefs, home cooks, foodies, and celebrities that sizzle. Get ready for a culinary journey that you won't find anywhere else. Here's the host of Kitchen Chat, Margaret McSweeney. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am so excited to be here at a very special place in Palm Beach, Florida, with a very dear <laughs> new friend, Nancy Brinker. Thank you so much for Thank this you. opportunity. Thank you. Well, foodie friends, I'm sure <laughs> you've heard of Nancy, but if not, I just want to share a little bit about her. We met just in New York mm-hmm. at Wendy Diamond's mm-hmm. uh, Women's Entrepreneurship Day right. celebration. You are being honored, <laughs> and you, of course, are a wonderful businesswoman. Wow philanthropist, founder of Susan G. Komen and the Promise Fund, a former ambassador to Hungary. In addition, uh, you received, is it the President's uh, Medal of Freedom? So accomplished. But what I love most is I asked before, do I call you Madam Ambassador or what do I say? And it was just Nancy. So thank you, Nancy. (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm just honored to uh, be able to have this time with you today. Thank you for coming by. Oh, thank you. And as we all know, charity begins in the kitchen, and we're at your kitchen table. (laughs) And I'd love to hear the very special story about the charity that you created and founded at your kitchen table. (laughs) Actually, um... There, there are two charities I started at my kitchen table. One was Susan G. Komen, uh, so named after my sister uh, at her request as she was dealing with incurable breast cancer. And then um, when 40 years later, uh, after she died and I had developed breast cancer in the midst of all that, um, and we were able at Susan Coleman to fund a tremendous amount of research. So many, many more people are living today <clears throat> with the education and all that happened and the wonderful affiliates all over the country. But when I got back to Florida, which I chose to be the place I wanted to live after that, and uh, we, I, I really came upon some disur- very disturbing facts, and that mm-hmm. is that um, we are one of the... Uh, most unfortunate counties in in the country. We have almost 90 to 100,000 women with no health care. And that all all developed over a period of years. That didn't just Mm. happen yesterday, but Florida being mostly an agricultural state. And then when all the business development started, there really wasn't a lot of business in the part of the uh, state I live in, in West Palm Beach, which is the third largest Mm -hmm. county. Um, and so, as a result, many immigrants were living here, um, and also people who had retired mm-hmm. or um, had just moved here to have better weather. But these numbers were unacceptable mm-hmm. to me. I'd been spending my whole life in getting uh, health care for people, and particularly for cancer and breast cancer for years and years. But really, what bothered me is that we don't have a, even a county hospital in our county. We don't have, we have for-profit hospitals. Mm-hmm. We have what they call a health care district, which was, which was created when a couple of the hospitals folded because they couldn't afford to run here because 
West Palm Beach really wasn't a business community for, as you right. know, for many, many years. Right. So there was a lot to face there. And because I'd spent most of my life in the fight against breast cancer, um, so did the women here who yes. were developing it very at a very fast clip, very fast clip. And it got to the point where um, you couldn't just um, direct a woman to a family physician. Um, we didn't have all the services we needed here. And most of the hospitals here are for-profit hospitals. Mm. They're not not-for-profit um, centers where people can go. And I got really upset about it. I, I heard it, and I, then I validated it with a few couple of very close friends. Yeah. And we did our research and found out the, the numbers don't lie. That's really what was going on. And I said, well, I don't see how any, either of us, any of us, can live in a county like this where we know we're not doing something to change that for women and their families. Well, one day, uh, a friend guided me to the Federally Qualified Health Care Center program, which most, actually most Americans, a lot of people don't, don't know about it. But they're... Center is largely um, funded by the government, mm -hmm. is the biggest sort of client of theirs. Everybody has to pay something if they go in to a federally qualified health care center, and most of them are named. The center here that is the largest is uh, called Found Care, huh. which is really a great name for yes. people who find care yes. here. And there are private, pract uh, sorry, primary uh, physicians generally, but in many different areas. And though they don't do surgery and they don't treat diseases that are chronic, et cetera, they find people who can help people of very um, low means. Yes. So um, we looked at this, and, and I, it ran through my mind for, for a couple of months. And then one day I thought about, after touring the center, how incredible it would be if we could somehow install a women's center there by getting a mammography um, uh, equipment installed along with um, cervical cancer uh, sure. cap uh, capacity after we got the um, mammography and women's mm -hmm. center started. So in 2018, we started fundraising and, and getting it going under the name of the Promise Fund of Florida. And people were generous and great. And I went to a wonderful company called Hologic who make this kind of instrumentation and the, this kind of equipment. Yes. And they <clears throat> happily donated to us a 3D mammography machine. And then we, we provided the ultrasound capacity. And um, we, we were in business, so to speak, even though it's a not-for-profit, of course. Yeah. And our, our goal was to bring in so many of these women for the first time to a clinic like this, where they would feel comfortable, they would feel mm -hmm. at home, they would not be rejected for any reason at all. If they had $5 in their pocket, they could use that. If they had a Medicaid policy that was weak, they would take that. If it was Medicare, whatever it was, they had to put something down, even if it was a dollar. Mm -hmm. And if they had nothing, <clears throat> they would be treated. <clears throat> and to that point, the federally qualified health care centers yes. are, <clears throat> there are 1,400 of them now across the country. Wow. Now, mind you, they've been supported by most of the presidents we know <clears throat> in our modern yes. uh, view of history. President Bush was a huge supporter oh. of them. And all the presidents before going back to President Reagan. Oh. 
So uh, it was a real joy to find these centers. And they ended up now treating or seeing about 70% of the poverty-stricken people in our country. And then <clears throat> some of these centers are rural, some are in bigger cities, mm -hmm. but they're a godsend yeah. because there is no other way. And our healthcare system is complicated enough for yes. those of us who can afford to be in it. Yes. But to be poor, mm -hmm. to have uh, all kinds of situations happening, the last thing you get to think about is your health care. And, and I said, you know, so much of healthcare today where it's going is preventive, preventive, yes or detection, mm -hmm. early detection. Those two things, prevention and early detection, are going to be the next best drugs in our country. Indeed. And so it was with breast cancer. As much as we can determine now through blood, blood studies or mm -hmm. palpable lesions a woman might have, at the end of the day, uh, the best way to detect an early cancer is by screening. And uh, primary care, that is some breast ex exam or seeing a primary physician once a year. So that's what we did. We created this system, and we call it the Promise Fund Breast Center. And since that time, um, of these 90,000 women who've been left out of the health care system, we have navigated, educated, screened, uh, kept many of them healthy by making sure they were sent somewhere if they had a more advanced problem, 26,000 of those patients. And now we intend to double that next year and double it the year after until we get through this population and it's time for them to come back again. Also what we've done is introduce them to this center where they have real primary care and so they're familiar with it, they're not afraid of it. And to do that, <clears throat> we have hired 19 very qualified <clears throat> patient navigators. Great. And patient navigators are between being a nurse and a social worker. Mm -hmm. They have those qualities, community navigators. And their job is to bring people from their part of our county into the center and stay with them, make a relationship with them, so that they have any other healthcare needs, they can be guide. They can be the guide. Navigation is just what it sounds like, guidance. And now it turns into friendship. And so many. It's such a joy for for all of us in the Promise Fund to see uh, these people treated, and and treated well, yes. not just treated for their disease or, but to be welcomed in to a healthcare system. There are just so many things I want to say. I mean, first of all, thank you as a fellow breast cancer survivor, 11 years now, I'm so yeah, grateful. Yeah. It is so scary to get that yeah. unexpected diagnosis right. and to navigate, as yeah. you were saying. And I have to say, what found my breast cancer was the 3D mammogram. Mm -hmm. And I am forever mm -hmm. grateful that that was available it was just coming out at that yeah. time and so thank you for your work with holographic Hologic. yeah holographic yeah. with with all of that and i think it's so important i mean maybe there's someone out there you've just received the diagnosis please stay encouraged and hopeful because there's so many right. 
options out there for you. And Nancy is paving the way, and she has been paving the way, and saving lives. Well, thank and you. For thank all you. That you're and doing. I was I was helped along the first year, really, before we launched our clinic to the public. Mm -hmm. We invited Jill Biden to come down. Mm -hmm and see us and um, she's she and her husband the president are yeah. very very involved in cancer care of course uh, the moonshot is their big effort mm -hmm. and um, they've just been terrific to work with on that on, on this kind of situation and so she came down and was very taken with the fact that we'd had these wonderful navigators and that yes. we were beginning to really bring people the other issue is that we were able to determine what the social determinants were hmm. that were keeping these women, particularly who weren't coming to found care or, or or various other small clinics, and really it's always the same. It's transportation. They didn't have transportation, hmm. or situations at home, or their home was like a food desert. They didn't have enough food. I mean, all these things come, and you just, you know, every day I would have tears in my eyes, and I'd say, this just can't be how people have to live yes. every day in our country. Right. And right. Um, I can't tell you what a joy it has been to meet the patients. We have an incredible staff beyond that. We have some of the most wonderful managers of mm -hmm. the care that we're giving. We're, we have a great chief operating officer, Karen Patty, who has helped us organize the organization. Yeah so well so that we now have requests by other people who want to do the same thing to replicate what we're doing and to that end our three uh, congressional members three women Lois Frankel uh, Sonia uh, 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 McCormick and Debbie Wasserman, Wasserman Schultz from Broward County all put in for the infrastructure grants to the community for uh, for each, for three new centers. So all together they've donated $3 million to us to replicate three more centers like this co-located in the federally qualified healthcare center nearest to where they are. And so when I, you can see why I wake up every morning smiling. I'm not kidding, a, ma a moment doesn't go by that I'm not smiling. I know there are gonna be issues ahead. We know there's gonna be uh, problems that we didn't foresee, but this is such a welcome service to people yes. who, ha I, I was amazed at how many women had never had any primary care and had only seen a doctor when their last child was born. And this can be caustic, I mean, and terrible yes. for a woman. Um, in our part of the county, mm -hmm. we have a large black population and they die four times faster mm -hmm. of breast cancer than Caucasian women. Wow. Um, Hispanic women have very um, and, and some dim, some growth of mm -hmm. some of the uh, worst problems in cervical and um, those kinds of cancers mm -hmm. are, are growing in their population. So the combination of two really is a is a major problem for us yeah. to not have the healthcare connected to it. So and we have been um, very, 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 how should I say, forceful in getting the support from our healthcare mm -hmm. district um, and, and private funding. That's wonderful. Speaking of private funding, what can our foodie friends out there do to help you and <laughs> help save women in the well, fight against breast cancer? Well, I think every woman 
think about women if you're lucky enough to have an insurance policy and you get to see a doctor think about you know sending a donation uh the promisefundofflorida.org and we will make sure that any resources we are in charge of handling are used to the highest are made to be used for the highest and best use to educate people to bring them into treatment or at least screening mm-hmm. to bring their children with them because yes. the federally qualified healthcare centers also treat children okay. dentistry and some of the things that are the most expensive and then husbands come often to mm-hmm. follow the woman patient we can fix this these are things that we can fix in our country and that is our goal to do that um we're finding that so much change in healthcare is happening in communities mm-hmm. um you know all the talk and arguing in our political world with how bad things are in america i can't imagine a time when things weren't great in america that's because i was lucky to have grown up the way i did yes. but also because my mother was a fierce volunteer and she managed to get things done with people that i could never <laughs> believe she built a girl scout camp in the middle of our town Peoria Illinois it was a little but i mean she did things like that she took on things that were very hard with my father's full support but we are having um we're having almost a blessed experience mm-hmm. i can't explain it to you mm-hmm. when you see a woman who was so frightened mm-hmm. and now she has someone to take her by the hand organize her appointments and you know that so well yeah those of us who have insurance mm-hmm. and know that path when i had breast cancer 4 years after my sister susan coleman died it it was that all over again and i was afraid i was going to die of it um now when she died uh, we created susan g coleman yes. foundation and many people know of the work of that organization now we funded over a billion and a half dollars in science and over 2 billion dollars in community care mm-hmm. and advocacy etc but i knew when it was time to do what we're doing now yes. because it isn't just about the research which we all need mm-hmm. but it's more than that we need to apply what we know and sometimes in america we get ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. we start on something new before we've applied what we already know and isn't being received by people. And that's what we're finding more and more. So we're encouraging people mm-hmm. uh to come to the promisefund.org and it is on the website all of our numbers are there. You can write to us, you can call us. And we're looking at things, not just the social determinants, but the real um uh moves forward in screening. Yes. So that with a wonderful partner by Lycologic who will be adding AI to their capacity. We are just over the moon um because we want to learn so much more about what the patient has. Uh and that's what we believe the dream of AI is will do. Will do. Most people are um committed to the idea and understand it. Most scientists and people who are practical medical yes people who provision things for patients mm-hmm. And honestly, I think this is going to take us a decade or two decades or a century ahead of what we now know. That is amazing. And it'll be d- detailed to the patient, yes. which I'm so excited about. Maybe it won't be able to do everything we think it should do, but it will add a great deal a body of information. Just that collection. And you know, yeah, and when yeah. you take uh you just again look at a woman uh 
who's under the poverty line and living in a county like this where she may or may not get care. Um, and, and we have primary, some primary care providers, but not nearly enough. The, the population has grown dramatically. Right. We have a, over a million and a half women, uh, a million and a half people living here now wow. with no teaching hospital and no ability um, right here in our county. We have a medical, hosp- uh, medical school, uh, FAU, that's, that's near, but not, not enough to provide um, yes. what most big cities or towns have to be able to treat people. Wow. So we're really looking forward to making progress on each of these fronts yes. and working with our community. And every mm-hmm. year now we have had a uh, meeting, a summit meeting, of all the nonprofits who deal with a lot of the things that we do, the social determinants, the need, the food bank, the on and on. And they come, we all come together in a meeting and we talk about the progress we've made and we help each other. If somebody has a need, we know who to call. But the greatest thing has been, one of the greatest things, Uber, the company who has donated several rides for our patients to get to the, to the front you, the center. Thank yeah. you, Uber. Thank you, Uber. Mm. And thank you to so many of our uh, supporters and backers and political, our congressional members, everybody. Most movements today are created in communities. Yes. And I knew and know we have to create a movement mm-hmm. out of this. We have to get people to understand they can do this in their counties, in their, in their districts, in their towns. If they're just innovative, it's like putting a recipe together. Where is this? Where is this? Where is this? And I find that Americans still are the most generous people in the world. Indeed. And I'm always amazed at the things people have given us, the things they've pledged to us, um, and and the way they've reacted, Mm -hmm. which has been so welcoming. So we just keep building. We keep um, doing things that uh, create uh, better access that people have to care making it easier to get to us, uh, continuing to reaffirm the patient-navigator relationship, yes. teaching other people how to do it, and um, talking about it, talking about it all the time, yes. and bringing more people into our organization. And gathering around the kitchen table yeah, and yeah. having these conversations, just like you do at home. Yeah. And you can feel empowered to find a need and act upon it, Yes, and just like you have. I'm curious, um, food. Have you mm-hmm. seen food? Have studies shown food kind of has a role in healing, helping people heal through breast cancer? What have you run across in terms of that? I, I haven't studied as much as I would like to study about it, but I'm firmly becoming mm-hmm. much more a vegan kind of eater. Yes. I mean, yes. I still eat meat in very small portions. I wean myself off of it over time. <laughs> Not beca- And listen, my deceased husband mm-hmm. had a very, very successful business in the days when we all ate beef all the time and all of them. I mean, it was, it was what the diet of America was. Absolutely. So there was nothing wrong with that. Not at all. And still is nothing no. wrong with it once in a while. You know, and uh, but I've enjoyed un- uh, learning how to uh, cook vegetables, how to yes. where to get yes. them, how to in what state do you eat them in, and how do you 
and, and recipes that friends give and pass around because it is a new way for mm -hmm. us all. But I absolutely believe it's healthier. I sleep better. Yes. Um, I have more energy than mm -hmm. I, I've always been thinking. I'm blessed with it, but I, I just feel better. Yes. And um, I think that a lot of people will feel that. Some of the problem we come into, and this is another social determinant, is food supply. Yes. So if you are, um, you know, underpaid, not paid, if you are on, um, if you don't have a food bank in your in your town or or that's accessible, it's really hard to get good food, right. and hard to afford. And that's something we're working on. So that's why we work closely with the food banks. So that if any person has a problem mm -hmm. who now is being treated, we make sure they learn to eat properly. Absolutely. And then, you know, the same with childcare. So mm -hmm. they have children and, and husbands and family issues and, and all those things all surround every patient. Yes. No matter what you have, and, and it's all the same, it's just in degrees. Absolutely, and perhaps down the road, community gardens yes. can play a role. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. Community gardens would be fabulous. Absolutely. What we found is that in Palm Beach County, um, I'm not quite sure whether it was the healthcare district or many of the small nonprofits and the big nonprofits who were giving boxes of vegetables <laughs> to all the patients and people that they knew needed assistance. The problem came in, however, that they didn't know how to prepare them. They didn't know how to cook them. Oh. Or they had only one way, and it was to fry them or in a way that wasn't really healthy. So we've had a big focus uh, when it comes to people going to the, um, any of the food mm -hmm. providers. Uh, they cook very healthy foods out of our food bank. So it's, it's, it's coming to you know, the, the head. It's coming yes. to where most people want to know more and mm -hmm. they, and they're also far less expensive in most yes. cases than buying meat. Yes. And it doesn't mean down with meat. It no, means that not at all. <laughs> you've got to temper yourself with, exactly. with it and know what you can use it almost like a condiment rather mm -hmm. than a whole big chart, you know, <laughs> and, um, and it does make you feel better. Absolutely. Well, mm. I would like to, to show a special recognition to um, your late husband, yeah. Norman Brinker, yeah. who is the founder of Brinker International, uh, which the companies which bring such deliciousness yeah. to this world, with yeah. chilies and Maggiano yeah. right. and so, so many others, and such a great philanthropic yeah. company yes. as well. So yes. to, and he was known as the godfather of restaurants. Right, right. And, and yes, exactly. Of um, Yes, he did. He transformed the restaurant industry into casual dining. Those were his wow. concepts, steak and ale. He was one of the first persons to hire college students. Wow. And it made so much more sense. They needed to earn money, yes. and he needed to spend less money. <laughs> so it was a perfect combination. Oh. And he was such an incredibly nice and hardworking human being. He came mm. from a very poor background mm. and uh, built himself up with his family. And he... He was an extraordinary uh, individual and died some years ago due to an injury, mm. um, and that was very sad. Yes. But his lingering effect is still there. I, yes. I see people who still mention him in talks in the restaurant association's meetings and the principles that he talked about. 
often were more about running a successful business mm -hmm. than necessarily promoting the food when right. he was in a corporate environment. Exactly. And he taught people so much about how to inspire people and, and how to get them to become involved in things. And um, But it was a great honor to be with him for so many years. And um, I, I know I learned a lot there. Oh, that's great. And his legacy yeah. continues. Well, I would love to hear about your experience being <laughs> ambassador of Hungary. What was it like? And I would love to hear about your favorite meal. Okay. <laughs> um, it, the, the year was 2000. Mm -hmm. President George W. Bush was finally elected. <laughs> and um, his team asked me if I would consider being an ambassador. Now, why was that? I guess because <clears throat> I worked hard in his campaign. Mm -hmm. I'd also worked hard in his father's campaign. Mm -hmm. And I'd worked in every one of those campaigns since <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower, who was my great idol in life. Aww. He was an idol to me uh, because he, he was so active in the Holocaust after the war yes. and documented that, which today, thank God, he did because we have Holocaust deniers. We have... You know, and, and he did so many of our great presidents. And I was a great friend of Ronald Reagan's and yes. all of them and became very friendly with Betty Ford because Betty helped me through my breast cancer when I had it four years after my sister died and had started Susan Komen. So it was very, she was just a wonderful human being. And we're still very close through her, her daughter, Susan, who's just amazing and all of her relatives and children. But um, I was just very lucky to be asked to be an ambassador, and they bring you in and say, now what would you like, where would you like to be posted? Hmm. And I said, well, I don't want to be farther than eight or nine hours away from my, my family, because I knew my father wasn't feeling mm -hmm. like himself. I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what, and I knew that if I needed to come home, I didn't want to have to travel two to four days to get right. there, because it might right. be really serious. So... <clears throat> Um, we looked at all the countries on a map, and the big countries had been spoken for. Um, and uh, But then there were a whole lot of other countries. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd like to be, actually, in Central Europe. Because in Central Europe, the problems had been so great about the Holocaust. I am Jewish. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to myself, maybe besides engaging women in health care and the things I knew I could do because women's diseases were killing them very quickly yeah. in the in central europe and they weren't really didn't have the opportunities we have mm -hmm. but more than that i wanted to help people have hope again mm -hmm. and know that they were equal citizens that they were accepted now yes. um, despite their religion and mm -hmm. i wanted women to feel good about what the you know yes. what the years now ahead hopefully would bring and that's why i'm so uh, destroyed about what's just happened October 7th was was so devastating and such mm -hmm. such a step backwards yes. but at least in the early 2000s uh, people were anxious to build democracies mm -hmm. in in Central Europe and in countries where they knew we had their gratitude for the things we'd done but we wanted to make sure they also had freedom in their country for and some of that's reversed since then, which is disappointing to me. Um, you know, dictators have come back and 
Um, that's the way they've chosen to run their countries, and, and there's very little you can do except accept what they, who they are and hope that they really will continue to be allied and be good members of NATO and, and do things that give people freedom and ability to do what they can in their lifetime. It's, so I enjoyed um, Hungary very much. Um, it was very lonely at first, mm -hmm. and of course I couldn't speak Hungarian, uh, but the embassy made sure that I had a translator so Good. I could. And then I got very interested in their culture yeah. because I knew there wasn't going to be very much I was going to be able to do really about growing uh, dictatorship sure. or growing anything other than the kind of government we have. I don't know any other way to help. Mm -hmm. um, other than getting countries to continue to speak to each other and share their wisdoms and whatever. But uh, I always loved the music of the mu great musicians of Hungary, and I loved, uh, and, and then I discovered I really loved their art. Yeah. Not really known mm -hmm. well in the European art market, so some of the artists are well known, and so I began, I began a collection there. Of all, so all the art in my home is is from Hungarian painters. Wow. From about 1867 is one of the earliest one. Uh, Mihai Munkashi, a famous parlor painter and adored, is the one behind you. But um, all of them come from different different eras and mm -hmm. tell the story of, in a way, a small country that had been through many changes of government and leadership and power and always reflected in their art always every country it's reflected mm -hmm. in the art whether how people feel what the what story the artist is telling so i decided to create the collection and the earliest painting i have was 1872 uh, of mihai munkashi and then moving forward to the present day. Yeah. So I have a lot of it here in my house and then I have some that I store because I don't have any more walls to do it. <laughs> and and um, I've really enjoyed it though. Oh. I've enjoyed showing it to other art museums have called and they want to bring their board. Many people don't know about their art and don't know yes. about the, uh, the timeliness in which they were painted. And <clears throat> artists don't lie. They paint what they mm. feel. So you can know which decade, what was going on, whether it was depressing and powerful and full of, and then, and then getting into the modern agents. And then when the communist regime mm. took over, they really didn't allow contemporary art to be shown. So I began then by finding pictures that were some of the first uh, early pictures that were shown in the country. Uh, at a certain time, and they kind of opened the door, and then they shut it. Huh. So it, it took many years for their contemporary artists to actually be accepted in the galleries and hmm. shown in public, and then collected. So um, I've done, I've exhibited the collection about fifteen or sixteen times, largely to universities or to uh, museums where they want their uh, patrons and you know donors and people who come to study there uh, to know about this genre of painting and the artists and what work they created. 
I love that and I can't wait to see some of the beautiful paintings. So I'm curious because part of the culture of course is art and I love how it's paired with food. Yes. Did you yes. have any memorable oh. moments oh. and meals? Yeah, and in gained Hungary. about five or ten pounds <laughs> as a result. But they have wonderful food. And I loved immediately all the goulash and all the, uh, you know, they had veal is uh, very, uh, uh, how do I say it, plentiful there, sure. for example, sure. and, and, and meats. They eat a lot of, of things, and, uh, but they're also an agrarian culture, so there are a lot of wonderful vegetables, and they have a big food hall that I loved going to and just seeing what was coming, and they were beautiful. The, the, they had the right climate. They're very close. Hungary is very close to Italy, actually. Yeah. So yes. some of these things kind of step over the border, uh, of and some don't. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, their cuisine is is really unusual, um, and you kind of have to get used to it. There's lots of different things you're eating, and you don't know exactly what you're eating, but it's very good. So I had to learn uh, their goulash and all of their um, sauces. And their desserts are, are oh. kind of wonderful. They're very sweet, and but yet very good. And um, and it was the way they relished the food. Yeah. They didn't uh, appreciate uh, food badly served, mm -hmm. or you know the, the people who who lived well, lived well enough. Um, they they appreciated, it. and they have a great this great agrarian culture. So they grow the most wonderful vegetables, and. Um, I guess, I suppose, in, in those days when I was there, if they really wanted something, they had to drive probably to Vienna mm -hmm. to get it, um, which is two hours away by car, but it was doable. And then um, I think now it's just full of restaurants. I haven't been back in at least five years, and I need to go back. I keep planning trips, and then, you know, they get dissembled for some reason or another, but I really did enjoy that part. And I have several friends still from there. Who I communicate with and am very happy that I get to. And oh. it, it's a very important role being ambassador in these smaller countries mm. because you have more opportunity to reach more people. Yes. And I didn't spend all of my time in Budapest by any means. I like to go out to the lake region, I like to go uh, north through the country. And, you know, Slovakia is an hour and a half away and Amazing. drive over there and. and and the view, the, the sights, and the um, the wonderful statues in the Hero Square, and and all these things, and then learning about World War II and how mm -hmm. that was, and the memorials that had been built, and the history, and they uh, and their communist history, all of that. They they'd been taken over by so many dictators right. for so long, so having freedom became something very new to them when I was wow. there. Wow, what an incredible experience, yeah. and thank you for representing the United States yeah. so beautifully, so well, and well, uh, as a woman ambassador, I love that. Well, I, I did really spend a lot of time on health care and women's mm -hmm. health, and I toured a lot of the hospitals from top to bottom of the country, and when I got there, breast cancer was one of the leading uh, causes of death with mm -hmm. women. When I left, it kept dwindling down. So eventually it has become probably the third cause of death of women. But at least women are talking about it. Yes. And we did a, um, we created a big walk there with music and there were 
their their um, minister of health mm -hmm. and others would walk in it and soon several hundred people we would walk across the chain bridge the Sabekjagdrug which is right in the middle of the of uh, the river and it was just wonderful on a night in October I can remember that we walked with candles women who'd never been able to say the word breast cancer I have breast cancer so it was really the time when that awakening yeah. came and I was very happy about it because at least they knew now and they knew what it was and they knew that they needed care yes so. when you speak it aloud it does not become yeah. scary that's right knowing that their resources thank you for your courage well, and leadership and, and well that as well well, I always love to explore new restaurants, mm -hmm. and you're very often in New York and Palm <laughs> Beach. Any favorite must-dine places? Well, <laughs> I think my favorite restaurant still is La Bernardin. Oh, I think it is such yes, an amazing, yes. <laughs> and, and that chef, and yes. the length of time that's gone on is mm -hmm. stunning. Yes. And it's a real treat to have a meal there, for yes. sure. I also like some of the... You know, I've always liked New York pizza. I've always liked the sort of snack food in New York is, is, is very good. But there's so many good restaurants now and so many interesting chefs. Mm -hmm. It's hard to pin, uh, you know, which ones I like the most. There are some that I just think are amazing. There are incredible Italian restaurants. There, that's the nice thing. Of every nationality, there is a restaurant group that around true. it. That's <laughs> true. And so I try to try as many different as I can. But I think the fact that they have beautiful green markets and they have you know fresh fish, the Fulton Avenue Fish Market, yeah. and all that wonderful. contributes to how good their restaurants are. Absolutely. So they have wonderful product and great nationalities living there. I'll be happy when New York, I hope New York kind of brings itself back to how it was yes. some years ago. Um, and it would be wonderful if, if they could. Indeed, yeah. indeed. And Palm Beach, yeah. any must-dine places that are oh. your favorite here? There's well, I love, um, I love a favorite. Um, it's a private club, but I love Club Colette. Uh, because I like, I love it when there's atmosphere with the food that's so yes. wonderful. And the fella, Dan Ponton, who owns it, is a great friend of mine. And, and many other restaurants. Bill Bouquet came here and introduced the whole town to Cajun chicken. Uh, yes. <laughs> and there's so many more <laughs> new restaurants mm -hmm. that had not been here before. Sometimes they come and go, but like La Galoo and uh, French restaurant, well-known uh, La Serena, which is a wonderful restaurant that has a beautiful wine list, and I could go on for days, <laughs> believe me. Um, but the food here has gotten very good, and the food, uh, the the food stuffs the um, ability to find good food. And Absolutely. for a long time, you know, Florida was an advanced golf course; it was exactly. not a business community, <laughs> and it was you, you could find, you know, Florida right. shrimp and shellfish and whatever, mm -hmm. but the rest of it wasn't there, so it wasn't exactly. here, but it's, it's growing now into that, and I think it's exciting. And in Miami, which has just exploded, yes. and uh, with all the wonderful Cuban food, mm -hmm. and many of the New York restaurants have gone there. Yay. So Oh, so many great places. I'm yeah. going to be trying Cafe Baloo tomorrow. Oh, great. So great. About, great. About that. Well, I think you'll love that. Yes. That is wonderful. And, um, uh, 
it's a wonderful restaurant, and that chef is wonderful, too. Oh, this will be great. Yeah, well, you'll enjoy it. This time together has been so special, Nancy. Thank you. Well, thank to you. me, too, and thank you very oh, much. Thank and you. you. I'm so happy to know you've gotten through your some of your issues, and, yes. and we'll all pray that you do. Absolutely. And uh, just know that anytime you'd like to come down and have a tour through our Promise Fund, yes. what what did happen, I think I told you the three replications are coming. So our our organization and our system will look quite different, we hope, at this time next year. So I'd love to show them, show them to you Absolutely. and hopeful that every community can do something like this. It's totally possible. Well, you have set the template <laughs> for change. Um, you are a game changer well, in all, all shapes. I'm, thank this. you. So thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, Nancy. And thank you, dear foodie friends, for having a heart for charity. And I encourage you to have the conversations around your kitchen table to encourage each other along the way and look at some great charities. I'll make sure we have a link to the Promise Fund. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Mm-hmm.